Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are we gonna love him or hate him? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, where a couple of San Francisco homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. My name is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today the movies we'll be looking at are The Choice, Hail Caesar, and Misconduct. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale. Binge it is the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's just kind of meh. And send it back. I gotta tell you, the secret to life is knowing that sometimes it's too damn short. Which is my impression of the protagonist of the first movie we're talking about, The Choice. But we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Um, We have seen a lot of each other this week. It's our fourth consecutive night together, Rebecca. Oh my god. I think we're married. I think so. I think the U-Haul is in the driveway. We're going to get fucked on taxes, I guess. Again. Apparently. (laughs) One more time, for all time's sake. Uh, So, you guys, we had screenings Monday night and Tuesday night for The Choice and Hail Caesar. And then last night... Um, we had a night off, and so what did we do? We, we went to go see a movie. We went and saw a movie, just for funsies, because, you know, what else are we going to do? We're not going to, like, learn a skill or get all outdoorsy all of a sudden. What, are we going to hike? <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> um, so uh, what we did last night was we went to go see a special screening of Ghost World, Terry Zwagoff's 2001 uh, comedy, at the Alamo Draft House in the Mission, the new Mission Theater. And it had special guests. Uh, Terry Zwagoff was there, and then Ileana Douglas. Mm-hmm who I have loved for so long, so long. Going back to, like, I watched Cape Fear at way too young of an age. Oh. Like, way too young. Like, that, have you yeah, seen Yeah, you, you should be of a certain age. I mean, are we talking that. about, like, do you, do you remember her scene in that movie? I don't. Oh. Yeah, she, Robert De Niro is, he targets her uh, because she is, like, the mistress of the lawyer that he's trying to get revenge on. And so De Niro, like, seduces her. And then like basically sexually assaults her but like then he this is this is gross but he literally bites a chunk out of her feet out of her face and spits it across the room oh my god and so she's How like i not remember that and then she's like you know nick nolte goes to visit, visit her in the hospital and she's like lying there with like this huge patch over her, then her lips split open and it's it's gore it's mayhem but that's one of the heavier roles she's played <laughs> um because after that we all fell in love with her and to die for as matt Dillon's mm. sarcastic sister who ultimately is is ice skating over nicole kidman's frozen body and uh and and then in ghost world she of course is the hilarious art teacher uh, so yeah, it was, it was fun. And it turns out you guys, Rebecca doesn't like Ghost World super a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I have a, an issue with, uh, the protagonist. It's, uh, there's an angsty character that I just cannot get on board with. But this time watching it, I found that the movie itself is, is so funny. Um, around, around her, all the, the supporting characters and the little in gags are hilarious. Yeah. And it was, I, there was something that they talked about when they did the Q&A is that when you watch it the first time, it, it's it's great. But then you watch it again. Now that you're older, you see yourself more in the Steve Buscemi character, mm-hmm. which, uh, which. Yeah, landed. it landed. It found, it found its spot. It was rat. Yeah. I loved hearing Terry Zwagoff's sort of behind the scenes stories about casting the movie. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. someone asked a question that I kind of wanted to ask, which was about like Brad Renfro. And if right. they had any memories of, you know, they had a favorite memory of working with him. Because Brad Renfro, you know, Ghost World was kind of one of his last. I looked, and he 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 died seven years later. It came out in two thousand one. He died in two thousand eight. I can't believe how it's been 
so long since he passed away. I know. It's been, yeah, eight years. Um, so I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if Terry Zwagoff has any, you know, nice things to say about Brad no. Renfro. <laughs> he didn't. Um, someone asked just a general question about like casting Thor Birch and Scarlett Johansson and Brad Renfro. And so he just kind of went through a story about how he wanted to have actual teenagers playing the roles. And the studios wanted like Jennifer Love Hewitt and all these people who Terry Zwagoff was like there in their 30s. <laughs> and, you know, and then fortunately Thor Birch got, you know, had American Beauty two years earlier. And so she was considered bankable. Right. And all they wanted was at least to have a bankable star playing the lead. So, but around when it came to Brad Renfro, he was explaining that there was just like some like gay executive at MGM who had what he described as a gay crush on Brad <laughs> Renfro, which is a little redundant, Mr. Zwigoff. But, um, but how like the guy was like, if you put Brad Renfro in this role, then you can have your, your $6 million budget that you want. And so, wow. and so Terry Zwigoff was like, all right, fine. And then, um, and then he just started saying like, and he was so wrong in the part. Oh, what a just bad casting could not have been worse in this part. And then the facilitator was like, oh, he, he wasn't bad. He was fine. He's good in the role. And Terry's walking. I was like, no, he is not. <laughs> this is the bad part for him. He just never should have been in it. And <laughs> and so, I was like, at that point, I was like, wait, he died, right? Yeah, I know. Terry's Wagoff was, was, was not interested in, no. in what happened to Brad Renfro seven years later. He was just pissed that he played that part. He's fine in the part. He is, yeah. I mean, There's that's not much to a it. perfect, like, teenage boy. Yeah, he's, not like, much he's, to he's say, all hunched over upset. and awkward and, and, yeah, just being dicked over by, like, sassy girls all the time. Mm-hmm. It's the teenage boy experience. Exactly. I would assume. I'm guessing. <laughs> Neither of us know. Yeah. I mean, I got dicked over all the time too, but that's just because everyone likes to make me mad for fun because I'm apparently <laughs> hilarious when I get very angry. And really? All, and all my female friends have always known that. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know. I guess I haven't seen you really angry. People like to provoke me. It's true. Really? <laughs> it's been a fact in my life for a very long time. I think I just, I'm a, I don't like, I don't like when anything gets too loud. So I think I'm afraid to provoke you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, Scott also doesn't like it. Uh, he does not. He does not respond well to it at all. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, there are many who have always who, who who like poking the bear. We'll say. Really. And now that I actually am kind of more of a bear, you know, it's all the more <laughs> all the more apropos. I that. guess maybe when I'm drunk, I've poked you before. But yeah. then I'm drunk and I don't care. <laughs> and I don't remember. Right, exactly. You just provoke me and then, then you leave. Just, exactly. And you just drop the mic and stroll out and I'm, you know, raving and screaming and, <laughs> and I'm getting picked up by the cops. We and... should do a show that way one time. <laughs> yeah, just, just provoke me. Just see what happens. I'll get drunk and provoke you. Sounds good. Should we get on to the movies? Let's do it. All right. Let's start off with the f- first movie, The Choice. Hmm. When feisty medical student Gabby Holland moves in next door to the perennial ladies' man Travis Shaw, it sends them both on a romantic journey neither ever dreamed possible. Like I was saying, every path you take leads to another choice. Come back to me, baby. Come bother me. Some choices could change everything. I should have been there. It's not your fault, Travis. Every moment of the rest of your life hangs on him. Gabby! So, Jason, that's the choice. It sure is. Tell everyone a little bit about your uh, yearly tradition that you were so kind to open up to me this year. Guys, I'm always really excited when there's a new Nicholas Sparks movie. Just because there's just something... I I think we all know that it's fun to make fun of bad movies. Mm -hmm. But the Nicholas Sparks movies, they just never disappoint. (laughs) Like, they're always just so spectacularly, like, unapologetically awful and they hit the same notes every time. And it's almost like reassuring. 
everything's it, right in the world. Everything like it's it's reassuring how consistently awful um, Nicholas Sparks movies are. And so, like, I always look forward to it because it's just honestly, it's fun just to rip them apart. So, have you seen all of them? No, I haven't seen all of them. Um, but two that I especially had a lot of fun reviewing were uh, the Lucky One with uh, Zac Efron and Taylor Schilling before Orange is the New Black. Oh. And then uh, Safe Haven with Julianne Huff, uh, oh, our, wow. our, 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 our new Sandy D. And, oh, yeah. uh, and then uh, Josh Duhamel, who will be in our third film tonight, Misconduct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're always awful. They're basically like... I feel like Nicholas Sparks movies because there's so many of them. You know, there's like one every year. They there's always, 10, they, always they always hew to the same formula. Their posters look the same mm-hmm. every time, and you know, it's it's. I feel like they're kind of like Tyler Perry movies for basic bitches. <laughs> I feel like basic white people. This is who <laughs> Nicholas Sparks is writing for. Sure. Um, these are these are movies that are you know. Uh, very, very, you know, incredibly conventional, incredibly sort of conservative, mm-hmm. uh, reinforce a lot of like old fashioned gender stereotypes. Absolutely. Uh, and always have some kind, you know, they always take place in the same, you know, sort of general Carolina, Oceanside setting. Uh, they just, they just never fail. They're the same every single time. And so I was, I was excited to see how Rebecca would process it. And, and God love her. She made it through the screening intact and she's here with us tonight. I did. I, I carry a notebook to our screenings and I, I take little notes and this one has like two notes. Then it starts saying, die, Jason, <laughs> Jason, die, 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 Jason, die. Yeah. That's the rest of the, my notes. D Bart, D <laughs> from the German. <laughs> Uh yeah, <laughs> it's uh it, it's 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 a special thing to do. And you had had you seen the Notebook at least? I have seen the Notebook, okay. but I've only seen it recently. I saw it like a year ago. Yeah, and that's time. always the one everyone will always point to and be like, "Well, that was a great movie." And yeah, of course it was a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it was one movie, and it was sort of like the blueprint that he has gone back to again, and again to diminishing returns with lesser casts. Right, and so I mean, there are a lot of the same tricks are used in every movie a lot of the same uh storylines how can you tell on this one what's the first thing that tips you off that you're watching a nicholas sparks movie so nicholas sparks movies always start with like a very literal on the nose voiceover narrative (laughs) that you heard in the trailer that you hear in the trailer because we just played for you uh where like the male protagonist uh usually will say something like you know like in the lucky one it was like i thought i knew what luck was but life can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> and you don't always see the luck right in front of you. And in this one, so this guy, <laughs> uh, this, this guy, guy, Benjamin Walker, mm-hmm. is the actor's name, who plays the our romantic lead in this film, who's actually an acclaimed theater actor. Um, he starred in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, uh, which was a big, a big smash. So he can do better. Anyway, so he is doing this opening voiceover in such a like molasses thick mm-hmm. like mcconaughey on heroin accent <laughs> that i i just i literally one word came out and i started just to laugh immediately you did he was you like did. all right now y'all listen here like i think that's like the first words like so you see like the opening establishing shots of like gorgeous north like you know wilmington north carolina which is where dawson's creek uh was filmed mm. bt dubs maybe i looked familiar mm-hmm 
Uh, and so he's like, now y'all listen up because I'm about to tell you the secret to life. <laughs> and I'm like, are we supposed to be taking this seriously? Uh, so that's, that's right away. This really just familiar, reassuring Sparksian trope of like, and then he starts saying, life is all about choices, you see. <laughs> and I have one heck of a choice in front of me right now. I don't know what I'm gonna choose, but it's a choice, which and, is a lie. First yeah, of all. which is a lie because he does not actually make a choice. Don't let it fool you. No, uh, the whole thing, and this is jumping ahead a bit, but the, the whole thing that he's making a choice about does not happen until the third act. Mm-hmm. Like it's this thing where the movie, the movie almost you can tell that they like when writing it just forgot to even have a conflict. <laughs> <laughs> and then like we're all having such a good time and as they're like rounding the base from like second act to third we're like oh shit <laughs> we actually haven't had a conflict yet aside from like you know the conflict of this mismatched pair of lovers you know trying to get over their initial distaste for each other and right. realize that they're meant to be uh, when checking off the boxes of the nicholas sparks movie exactly. necessity they got mm-hmm. location they got relationship and then they forgot to turn the page on the back is emergency room scene right and they forgot to flip the page over till too late right i was reading a review today that was like a hospital set prologue is sort of a given in a (laughs) a nicholas sparks movie uh so yeah so right away right away it just shows you it's full like sparksy in hand with that (laughs) terrible ridiculous voiceover introducing us to the very distinct line readings of mr benjamin walker so so Compared to the other movies, how does this fall? Especially with this sort of like rounding the rounding third late. Yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like it's 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 beat for beat, very very similar. You know, it's he always casts these kind of generically good looking, kind of nondescript white actors to play his male and female romantic leads. It takes place in the same setting all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's always like some you know conflict introduced to varying degrees of violence. This is this is the least. I feel like normally, like in Safe Haven and The Lucky One, the conflict came in the form of like violence, uh, because in The Lucky One, it was like uh, some crazy ex-military guy showing up trying to like kill Zac Efron for like muscling on his lady. Oh. And in Safe Haven, Safe Haven was basically Nicholas Sparks's like half-assed retread of sleeping with the enemy. So you had <laughs> Julianne Huff uh like, you know, on the run from her abusive husband uh and then she starts a new life and meets nice Josh Duhamel, but then the husband closes in. Oh. So this is like this one has by far the least the least conflict. Yeah. And we'll just, I mean, we can just say, I don't care. No. <laughs> I no. don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, she, she gets into a car accident. Um, the, 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 the wife in this movie, mm-hmm. the eventual wife, uh, after probably like 80 minutes into the movie or yeah. something. And we've just been like watching the story of their love. And that's been it. That has been it. Just 80 minutes of just, like, them meeting and, and, and falling in love. And there's, like, minor conflicts because, like, you know, they each kind of are seeing other people. But, like, those are taken care of very quickly, very quickly. once they're addressed. And, and uh, it's strange because it starts off with this hospital scene. So you know yeah. something's coming down the road. Right. And you know, obviously, it's her. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's in the hospital scene. Right. So 
So to make you wait so long for the payoff, it, like it, that would have worked if it would have been a surprise. But mm-hmm. since it wasn't a surprise, you're just waiting for it and waiting yeah, for it exactly. to the point where it starts to feel ridiculous. Right. And you see when it, when she finally does have the car accident, like it's like we see it coming a good 10 minutes before it happens. If only she did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if she did, then the movie would just be conflict free entirely. Right. Which may and, have been better. Yeah. I, which I honestly, I feel like it was more honest when it was just being a romance and yeah. not trying to introduce this like fucking hackney conflict into it mm-hmm. because the choice of the title of this movie is meant to say like now he has a choice whether to like take her off life support or you know to keep her connected because she she had you know like a dnr which is just like produced out thin air like i don't know when she signed <laughs> this thing and you know so we're supposed to like hate the doctor who's like now listen like she signed this and there's you know very very little chance of recovery and you know as soon as you hear like there's very little chance of recovery you know what's going to happen right uh, this is a Nicholas Sparks movie. And it just, it, yeah, it makes no sense. So I feel like out of all like the Craven last act sort of like, you know, Hail Marys that Nicholas Sparks movie has pulled, that uh, this is just one of the weakest. Mm-hmm. Just weak, weak, weak. Like, oh, well, nothing's happened. What should we do? Oh, let's have her be in a car accident. All right, cool. <laughs> That's heartbreaking, right? Uh, it's, it's, oh, shit. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Okay, and now we can jump ahead to another question I want to ask you. <laughs> so, yeah, so as we're at the screening, there's sniffling happening all around us. Mm-hmm. And it's all ladies. And this movie... And Jason. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't cry at any movie, let alone terrible ones. <laughs> uh, this is a very deep emotional block that I have <laughs> that I would like to resolve, please. Uh, so, like, this movie is just bad and it's by by no definition could this be construed as a good movie and it's you know it's predictable all all the beats are predictable and expected and yet still ladies be weeping (laughs) and like how do you feel i'm gonna put you on the on the spot as a woman to speak for all all womankind oh boy that's yeah. How do you feel like whenever you are out and about and you see, you know, say you're in a bad movie like this and there are all these girls like holding each other and crying? Are you like, ladies, like you're punting the movement back? Like, what are we doing? Or no. are you like, oh, it's all right? No, I wouldn't say. I'm, I'm, okay. So um, I I had, I shed one tear during this movie. You did? And let me tell you, well, because it, I was thinking. Podcast over. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I was thinking about... It's been fun. A big part of this movie is that they both have dogs. And I was thinking about what would happen if the dog never got to see the owner again. And I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as someone who has feelings... Uh, misdirected or not... Unrealized for humans or not. Think of the dogs. Think of the dogs. And then I was like, oh my. And then they had puppies. So they're like grand dogs. That <laughs> so I can't believe the dog porn got you. There is such dog porn. This there's there's dog reaction shots throughout this movie. <laughs> A lot of them are so bad. Lots and lots of dog reaction shots throughout this movie. Yeah. So there's a lot of good gifts coming from this movie. As far as yeah. like kind of like a what you say. Lots dog? like Ooh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots um, of that, and apparently it worked on Rebecca. So I withdraw my question because you're among yeah, you're so among you're among their number. I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that you know people people can can see themselves in this situation, and then you know people have soft spots for love. I don't know. I think that I think that you see. I wrote this question before I found out that you were not an Enid. 
So oh, now yeah. that I know you're not an Enid, I withdraw the question. I am not an Enid. <laughs> because I, I get so... You're like, I didn't realize you were so basic. <laughs> I know, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, no, no, I just I just don't know how... And I guess like with some people, if their emotions are like really easily accessed, then like kind of like when you're watching a scary movie, you'll still get like scared by jump, you know, jump mm-hmm, scares. Mm-hmm. Even though you're like, I see it coming, I know it's going to happen, I'm still going to be scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But I guess I just don't understand. I don't understand how you can't just like, I don't mean you specifically, how audiences don't sense themselves being like really sloppily emotionally manipulated yes. no, I think that, by the well, film. I think that people are on different parts of the scale with that. And I think that like, I could see it coming. I know, you know, I know when it's coming for it. And this, this is only about animal stuff, right. but in a commercial or something else. And I know that it's going to have that effect on me. And I just, I try to brace myself and I try to, you know, you think through, it's just a movie. Right. There's no way this dog is like actually never going to see the owner again and be sad about it and not right. understand. Yeah. Um, or whatever the actual human relationship you're, you have feelings for. I, I think that people do that. And then some people just give in. Some people just like check reality, the door mm-hmm. they're in for the ride. I mean, people buy buy these books. People are going because to see want, this movie because they they're want paying the money experience. to see it. They know you're not going to walk in, pay thirteen, nineteen. I don't know how much movie costs anymore <laughs> to see it, <laughs> spoiled, and then say, "I'm going to sit there, arms crossed, and be like, try to fool me, movie." If you're going to go see a Nicholas Sparks Sparks <laughs> movie, you're going to go cry. So the question <laughs> is, why are you there in the first place? Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. This is sorry that this is taking a detour into Rebecca explains emotions to Jason. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, 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 that's a perfectly valid point that people are signing up for a specific emotional experience when they go to see a Nicholas Sparks movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want the formula. And, mm-hmm. and I guess I just feel such a lack of understanding, a fundamental, very core <laughs> lack of understanding or similarity with these people that I don't personally get it. Right. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I respect that this movie will probably give them what they're looking for. But that does not make it any less awful. No, I mean, I think that if you if you are you know into this kind of movie and, and you would go see it, I, I don't think this would be. I think you'd be disappointed. Oh, really? You know, I I, I, don't, I mean, what do you think? Like compared to like the Notebook, where I feel like you were really kind of well, taken see, on a. Well, see, but you've 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 brought my expectations of such a person so low now. Oh that yeah. That I feel true. like if they want they the emotional roller coaster, if they want a good cry, that and they know they're easily. Um, manipulated to cry, then this yeah. movie will make them cry. Yeah, and uh, that's true. And, 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 and to be fair, the actors in this movie are are good. Like I really wanted to hate Benjamin Walker as as the mm-hmm. lead dude, but Me then too. I realized he was just playing the character. He was just really I, expertly playing the character. I and, feel like he had fun with it. I he, there were a couple times yeah. I got caught up in the, the way he sort of had some nuanced actions and dialogue with the character I thought he did the best he could he had a very emotional final act too that called on him to like cry a lot Mm -hmm. and he always was like very in it and very present like I was very moved by some of that yeah and uh, Teresa Palmer who plays the female lead uh, is is has always been an interesting uh, screen presence. She has a lot of energy and just a lot of heart and a lot of fire. And and I thought that you know, these it's not the fault of the actors. No. No, that, no, 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 That this movie has the problems that it has. So this movie has um, there there are equal equal more 
at least equal amount of women to men mm-hmm. uh, actors in this movie. Yeah. So it passes the Bechdel test, right? <laughs> Except it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> because the women in this movie only talk to each other about dudes. Yep, that's it. <laughs> this is this is sort of like the prototype movie that would that would necessitate the introduction of something like the Bechdel test. Yeah. To be like, how can a movie be half women and half men and yet have no scenes where two women talk about something other than a man? I remember there was some scene, yeah. this, this one scene in particular, uh, where there's, there's, this is lots and lots of just like bro-y social hang scenes in this movie. I feel like they always talk about women though. Well, but so the scene I'm thinking of is, um, so it's like Teresa Palmer and the dude's sister yeah. and the dude and his friends. And, and like the dude and his friends are in the backdrop of the scene, tossing a football around mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. Teresa Palmer and the sister go on a little walk to be like, so what do you think of him? And yeah. she's like, well, you know, I think that, you know, he's an interesting guy. And sister's like, well, you should just know. And, like, so mm-hmm. it's literally, and so these women are, like, putting their brains together, like, really just, like, digging deep on, like, trying to understand this guy mm-hmm. who is staying behind them, tossing a football around like a fucking idiot. <laughs> With just, like, the dopiest look on his face. Like, there's nothing there. There's no there there, guys. There's nothing to understand about this person. Yeah. Like, he is all, <laughs> what meets the eye is there. Right. And so it's just this thing of, like, you know, women clustering off to be like, let's break him down. Let's see if we can understand him. This great man. Oh, if only we could just fathom how his heart works. You know, like, it was... It, it's, and one's his sister, which is weird. Yeah, and one's his sister. And you know what also is weird, while we're on the subject of the sister, the is that the sister and, and the girlfriend... girlfriend and look looked exactly, exactly alike. the same. Okay, I thought, see, sometimes I think, and this is not going to be a popular opinion, that all white people look alike. <laughs> and I wasn't in sure this if case, I was guilty of that. In this case, it's so true, guys. Thank God. So Maggie Grace from Lost plays uh, his sister, and Alexander Daddario from True Detective Season 1 and San Andreas plays his on-and-again, off-again girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And they look the same! Like, I literally, <laughs> like, I thought... Every time one of them would walk in, I would think it was the other. Yeah. And until he would, like, kiss them or whatever, be like, ooh. Then, like, that's what I had to wait for. And then eventually, like, the sister gets pregnant, so that makes it easier to figure yeah, out. Because every woman in this movie gets pregnant so often. Yeah, yes. Like, baby machines, all of them. <laughs> like, there's always at least, like, one prego, like, waddling around in the background of any given shot. And there's always, like, young children that are just, like, bursting forth from, like, the <laughs> loins of these couples. And, uh, and yeah, let's see. What else about the women in this movie? Um, Let's talk about the female lead. Let's talk about Teresa Palmer's uh, professional arc, if you will. Oh, wait. She had one? Oh, yeah, she does. She had one in the beginning. She had one in the beginning. She was a medical student. She was. So we're supposed to believe that she is this upper crust, um, silver spoon in her mouth medical student. Because like all Nicholas Sparks movies, there's there's always this class. There has to be this class tension, even though it's not even a real tension. Maybe like... I don't know how much conditions in the South have improved that this passes for class conflict. Right, because he owns like a boat and has yeah. a house and is a vet. And he's a vet. He is a vet. And he's, he's very doing very well for himself. Yeah, and he has like some scene where he's like, oh, I see you think I'm just some kind of redneck and, and you're, a, you're a real fancy girl, so we can't be together. You have your fancy doctor boyfriend. Like, this dude is a vet. I never would have guessed that they weren't on the same Yeah, level. no. There is nothing about... The, it, it fails in that regard. It yeah. fails to suggest that there's any actual class difference between these two. If it is, it's a class difference that's only known to like the enclave of Wilmington uh, <laughs> because it does not translate to the national screen. I'll tell you that. Uh, so in the beginning she is a med student and she moves in next to him that's how they meet and they both have these like impossibly gorgeous you know waterfront homes I thought you were going to say dogs but go ahead (laughs) (laughs) 
Go on. <laughs> yes, they also have dogs. And, uh, and so she's, you know, she's, she's very pissed off about him because he's always having like big bro parties and he has like all his friends over and their kids, of course, because it's that kind of movie <laughs> and all his friends or well, we'll get to that later. Uh, so, but he's always like blasting music and Southern rock and having barbecuing and having a good time. And then she'll like huff over there eventually when she, you know, breaks out and she's just like, this is not okay. And I'm a med student. I need to work and I need to study. And he's like, easy lady, what's wrong with you? you bother me <laughs> and it's it's that pretty much sums up the movie right there yeah that's pretty much their their chemistry that's their spark and uh so and that's probably one of the last things we hear about her like once it's established that she's meant to be a medical student and we see her in the hospital one time because it turns out that like you know her boyfriend is also a med student or already is a doctor or something and mm-hmm. then his dad like there's lots of dads run things in this and yeah you know, it's maybe definitely maybe we just don't understand the south maybe this might be like a very accurate portrayal of life it's okay to still criticize it though for its oh it's, absolutely yes yes no absolutely for the fact that it's but not it felt like unrealistic to me and i and then, it seemed but crazy then I was like, to maybe me. it just seems like a something i'm completely yeah because with. her boyfriend's father like runs the hospital or something and then <laughs> her like and then her neighbor's father runs the vet and uh so it's just about like which one will she get in with um <laughs> and uh and so and then once she actually gets into this relationship once she like stops stops kicking up a fuss and admits that she loves this big stupid man then like nothing like no her identity becomes entirely consumed by like well now she's with him and now she's a family lady and it is my understanding that medical school is very time consuming yeah i would think so she spends all her time gallivanting nothing else (laughs) seems pretty busy seems pretty tough and and yeah that's it that's it for her she but, is just there to like be married to him and to like poop out his babies and then oh eventually God. to and then, <laughs> and then to get you know killed well not killed but to be in a, a car accident that like forces <laughs> him to have like a existential spiritual crisis about you know whether to have faith or whether to give up yeah but there are people of color in this movie yeah, well, let's let let's talk about this new this new cool um, um, uh, structure, this device that was introduced this past week uh, from the New York Times. From the New York Times, the, uh, the Duvernay test, the Duvernay test, named after Ava Duvernay, the director of Selma. Uh, it was introduced by, I believe, Manola Dargis uh, to uh, to help sort of the same way the Bechdel test uh, encourages us to think critically about how how female lives are represented and depicted on screen. Uh, this one is for people of color mm-hmm. and essentially asks the question, does this movie have people of color as characters who are developed as more than just background color for white characters? And this one comes in at... <laughs> this is the reason that test exists. The same way that Bechdel <laughs> test. Like, yeah, this 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 movie is the case study for both of these. Yeah. Because this is a kind of this is an example of so he has these these four nondescript friends who are all like generically good looking, and one uh, they're both married couples with kids. One married couple is they're both African American, but they're both like they these are commercial actors. Oh yeah, they are light skinned. They are non threatening. They are exactly what people talk about in their casting commercials, and they have just like just generically light skinned non threatening black folks. These are them. Like through and through, and then the other couple, I believe, is a mixed race couple. I think because it's like so, it's like yeah. a white dude and like a Hispanic wife, and uh, and and this is they are the definition of background color. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. and the wives especially get nothing; they no. barely get a word. 
Um, and then, you know, but his bros, you know, get like a word to like, hey, man, you got to lock that down or whatever. Like, oh, you know, she'll come through or, you know. I think so, the wives only talk about like the kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The wives are just like, oh, oh God. Yeah. The one is like, okay, guys, like we got to get the party started because we have a popcorn scary movie date with kids at eight or something oh, like God. that. Just, just nightmare world. This is, and this is, and, and again, we realize that we're not the target audience for this movie. When you say nightmare world. Did, was there any part of you that felt like a little envy for this lifestyle? Party mm. boats and no. southern living. I mean, it looks really pretty. It was very pretty. Um, it looked like um, it looked a little bit like a Ted Cruz uh, campaign video, but <laughs> without all the awkward pauses and silences. Right, without all the, the Ted Cruz, just like the right. background, without that face there, ruining uh, yeah. <laughs> ruining the beautiful scenery. And then there. I did feel like we were we had accidentally signed up for a timeshare in the Carolinas. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we were very, I think we might have something waiting for us there. I, I think mean, we some, might. Some kind of efficiency unit that we get to like use one week a year <laughs> because, we, because we sat through this movie. But uh, if, I don't know. I felt like there was a, something to the lifestyle that for a moment I was like, this could be a way to live that seems like it's pretty awesome. You know, if you could just like subtract all of the things about life that you care. I just kept life. reminding myself that there are so many bugs. <laughs> Like, I just kept, like, I was just like, there'd be so many bugs where they're sitting right now. And they're, right, like, true. and they're not, like, and they're just sitting there calm as can be. And, I like, in real life. Because, yeah, like, I cannot walk outside in, like, a human environment without getting sucked dry by mosquitoes in, like, five seconds. <laughs> so, like, no. I, I'm not, like, I'm like, yeah, sure, that looks pretty. But, you know, like, I've been in, like, swampy environments before. And, yeah. like, I know what happens to me. That's and, true. And uh, so I would just, I would be, like, my romance would be short-lived because I would be, like, scratching my legs for, like, the next three <laughs> weeks. Um, and 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 that that's what would come of me there. So Thank no. you for pulling me out of that fantasy. Yeah. No. Where I wanted to go be some... I don't know, football tossing. <laughs> no, I mean, I just don't, no, I don't. I mean, yeah, sure. I guess I could see the appeal of like, yeah, to have like a big, nice house and have some little adorable moppets running around and, and, but. Boat. And. Uh, a party I, boat? I guess you, you're really coming back to this I'm party really boat. I'm the party boat. <laughs> you're, you're vibing on the party boat. Yeah, no, I, the party boat, I guess, you know, sure. It's nice to have like a thing you can just like load your friends onto and go sit in the water. <laughs> That's my... They won't let me drive a car like that anymore, so <laughs> now I need to move on to boats. Right. That's, you've, you've lost more futons that way. <laughs> <laughs> and friends, really. R.I.P., guys. R.I.P. <laughs> okay, what are we giving this movie? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a send it back uh, for me. Uh, yes, it's also a send it back okay, for me. <laughs> okay, all right. Because you really fought me on this one on a lot of points. I was like, did you like this movie? No, I hated it. And I hated you for bringing me to it. <laughs> You're like, and I hate the stupid podcast. For... <laughs> Going home. You're like, and I hate the, having to have equal representation for myself on here and see these fucking movies. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So it's, it's send it, it back. after all this, it's a send it back, guys. <laughs> Sorry. The Choice is out now, and it's rated PG-13 for sexual content and some thematic issues. That brings us to this week's Pick of the Week, Hail Caesar. Pick of the Week! Pick of the Week! Pick, 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 it's a Pick, pick of, of the, the week. week! Hail Caesar follows a day in the life of Eddie Mannix, a Hollywood fixer for Capitol Pictures in the 1950s, who cleans up and solves problems for big names and stars in the industry. But when studio star Bear Woodlock disappears... Mannix has to deal with more than just the fix. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. 
Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... So much like Nicholas Sparks and his long list of movies that you look forward to every year, it's a new Coen Brothers movie. Yay! The first since Inside Lewin Davis in 2013. Mm -hmm. With uh, the now superstar Oscar Oscar Isaac. Isaac. Um, There's been a lot of curiosity from fans um, because these movies go a couple different ways. Uh, Is it going to be a masterpiece or is it going to be down at the bottom of the list. Where do you think it lands? This is definitely just for fun, Coens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is not uh, This is not a, a deep, dark, heavy movie uh, no. from them. Uh, this is definitely closer to like a, like a Hudsucker Proxy, Intolerable Cruelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not even Hudsucker Proxy, really. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to really... It, Burn After Reading, I think, had a lot of similarities too because they both kind of have a... Yeah. They have like yeah. a shared pointlessness. I feel like it's if Oh Brother Where Art Thou and Burn After Reading mm. together because I feel like it has the the polish of Oh Brother but without all of the gravity of the story. Right. Yeah. There's no gravity. This could not be more featherweight. Yes. So I mean, in some ways, I don't know that this has a direct sort of precedent in the Coen's world because it's it's so 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 just lightweight. It's an incredibly loose uh, plot. Uh, that's really just an excuse, uh, a thread to pull together all of these disparate vignettes um, involving different, you know, movie star characters within the film. Mm-hmm. And as we have our, as our, as our guide, uh, Eddie Mannix, played by Josh Brolin, just kind of as the fixer of the studio, going around sort of just trying to put out all these different fires and handle crazy talent and and cover up scandals and things like that. So even though the marketing suggests that. The main plot is all about George Clooney being kidnapped. It really is not that no. important in the movie. No. Uh, it's it, it's it's not by any. It's I mean I guess maybe it's the A story. I don't know. I mean he's George Clooney, so kind of. I guess that story gets the most cutaways to it. Right. Um, but the some, main story is really just following. Yeah, the main story is just following Eddie Mannix around. Around. Uh, and yeah, so it really it does not necessarily. Yeah, it, this is not. Uh, you know, a, a terribly well-structured movie it's very loose it's very playful mm-hmm. it's no no country for old men no that's for sure <laughs> no it does not try to be this movie reminded me I, i've been trying to it reminded me of something and i've been trying to think about it and i finally realized it on the way here today it reminded me how i felt after i saw midnight in paris oh. when i saw that one i was i was like oh it's like a field of dreams for people who like old writers and things like that where it's like you get to see this like you know oh, it's like a fantasy like, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And i feel like this is that for people who love like old hollywood stories yes yeah this is definitely this is a love letter to post-war hollywood mm-hmm. and it is it is it's very it's very affectionate it's loopy mm-hmm. but affectionate mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everyone is very loosely and obviously based on real life figures. Right. And uh, and yeah, anyone who's like an old Hollywood buff is going to just enjoy this movie. It's 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 the Coen brothers are. And this is one of those times when you're like, okay, they're just really amusing themselves here. This is just like they're cracking themselves up. Yes. They think (laughs) they think this is funny. They think it's amusing to like, you know, to like, you know, sort of. Uh, dramatize and fictionalize all these kind of classic old Hollywood scenarios behind scenes stories and things like that. So they're having a ball. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and anyone who, you know, and there was certainly the, the critic section of, of our screening was like riotous with laughter. Oh, yeah. 
um, from all the fucking movie nerds. Yes, <laughs> it was like right along too over there. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, it was like basically like film critics of the Apollo. <laughs> it was, people were falling out, falling Losing out left it. and right over <laughs> over the jokes about like Esther Williams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was very amusing. There is such an all star cast. Yeah, it's huge, ridiculous. You have George Clooney, mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton. Yes, playing two roles. Two roles. Um. You have Jonah Hill, yes. Scarlett Johansson. Jonah Hill's probably at the least of any of the big names. Yeah, it's like he has like one scene. A minute. Yeah. Who makes the the best impression? Well, I think that the best impressions kind of come from the more below the line actors. Mm-hmm. So one big breakout from this movie is Alden Ehrenreich, uh, who is so as my wife would say, face with heart emoji eyes, <laughs> face with no, it's face with emoji hearts for eyes. No. Emoji face with hearts for eyes. <laughs> I got it. She came around to it, guys. Got it. So Alden Ehrenreich is such a little cutie. And I actually did a video interview with him. I did an on-camera interview with him and his co-star, Alice Englert, who's the daughter of Jane Campion, when they did Beautiful Creatures, which is a completely forgettable uh, young adult romance adaptation that has has, has fallen away and <laughs> no one talks about anymore. <laughs> Um, but that was his last kind of moment when he was getting cast in things. He was also in Stoker. He was in Blue Jasmine. He was in Blue Jasmine. Yes, that's true. I forgot that he played the son. Mm-hmm. He has this big kind of dramatic scene at the end when Kate Blanchett manages to do the impossible and walk across the bay <laughs> from, from San Francisco to Oakland to go and see him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. He's also in Stoker, uh, which is a movie I fucking love uh, with Nicole Kidman and Mia Wasikowska. And, uh, oh, I yes. haven't seen that. Oh, my God. It's I so need good. to. Oh, right. it's so good. I mean, he has he plays he plays a real he plays. A, a very a very villainous character um but it's it's a great movie just great movie so so he is in this movie playing um this really charming sort of uh western star just a little pint-sized cutie-faced western star uh who is attempting to go li- well he isn't he isn't attempting to the studio reassigns him just randomly one day while he's off shooting his latest western they try to reassign him to like a more well-mannered sort of society mm-hmm. um comedy and um, and then there's much mirth and merriment comes from there his attempt is. to to deliver his lines. In you would this think new movie. it would be you think it would be easy. Yeah, but would it were so, so simple. simple? Yeah. So Alden Ehrenreich walks off with the movie in some ways because he is just so charming mm-hmm. and so adorable. And people are going to just be like, if they don't know who he is, they're going to be like, who is that? Yeah. I think he's going to get a lot of work from this. Absolutely. And and I think he deserves it. He's a really cool little actor, and uh, so he's fantastic. You know. Who got probably the biggest laugh upon their just their first scene, just walking into the shot? Channing Tatum. No, Newman. Oh yeah, <laughs> Newman. Oh Wayne my god. Wayne Knight, guys. Wayne Knight is in this Newman. movie, and he. <laughs> I forgot about that. It was hilarious. He has like a wordless role. Yes. And, yes. But he has a purely physical role, and uh, he his, nails it. And he just walks into the scene. He's playing an extra in Clooney's movie that he's shooting, and so you just see like Newman with like that like Greek hair, yeah, um, and it's like, like Roman guard, yeah, and like the in the toga, and he's kind of like steals into the screen and just kind of like looks all Newmany, <laughs> and like <laughs> my friend Pam just about fell out of her seat in front of us whenever <laughs> whenever he did that. Uh, so Newman uh, really yeah. <laughs> walks off with that scene. That was great. Uh, but um, in terms of the big stars, I think that 
you know, everyone does their thing. George Clooney makes the silly faces he only makes in, Clo- in, uh, in Cohen mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. There's a certain repertoire of, like, George Clooney, like, yeah. faces <laughs> that he, like, re- reserves entirely for the Coens. And he uses them all in this movie. He does. His character is a complete and utter fool. Uh, so uh, he does not hesitate to play those faces up. Scarlett Johansson is is hilarious. Mm-hmm. She does the accent that I always love when she does. She didn't like she didn't Don John. Mm, she, yep, yep. she she loves like a tough New York accent. Mm-hmm. Um, she always looks and sounds in those moments to me like Drita Devanzo from Mob Wives. Uh, if any of you are getting that with my my reference, then like we are friends. Uh, but she went full Drita again this movie, and she kept talking about her fish ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so she's hilarious. Channing Tatum. Is 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 marvelous. He looked like he had a, a, an amazing, hilarious yeah. time filming yeah. that scene. He, the he, scene was fabulous. He is a joy <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it's it's yeah. Uh, yeah, he really he continues to to prove himself really as he gets more of these chances to work with serious directors mm-hmm. on bigger films, and you know he doesn't fuck it up. Yeah. Uh, you know he was in Django or not Django, but Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Um, you know, coming off of Foxcatcher. And, you know, and, and, and this is, he does, the thing about this movie is that it, it's, it's sort of just like a, like I was saying, kind of like a loose series of these production numbers and these set pieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's not a lot of like, once it starts a scene, each scene tends to be pretty long and very deliberate and very entertaining mm-hmm, and very mm-hmm. fun. And so it's almost like a series of like sketches kind of in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chang Tatum uh, gets to do by far the movie's sort of most, I don't even know if it's the most lavish production number because Scarlett Johansson, Esther Williams um, number is pretty lavish as well. But that one does not kind of carry through in its entirety mm-hmm. the way that Chang Tatum's does. Like there, there are moments in this movie where you're like, if this was a scene from an old Hollywood movie, it would be something that like we're all still talking about today as like this legend, cla- you know, legendary classic scene. It's so full of movie magic. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie adds best. Like it really can. It, it kind of gets to some of that. That 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 just the magic of Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. Yes. This movie really it's it, it's able to access that. It speaks that language. And that is something that I did not expect going into it. And I would to be just like enchanted by mm-hmm. some of these scenes and to be like, whoa. That they were going to be that thorough. With yeah, kind of the- that thorough in their homage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and not just, you know, and going beyond homage, you know, just making their own sort of beautiful little mini masterpieces with these scenes. Um, <laughs> Chang Tatum has a song and dance number um, that gradually builds into, uh, that, that slowly and steadily becomes one giant gay joke. <laughs> Um, and which I thought was a spoiler, but then I got home and telling Scott about it and he was like, oh yeah, I've been seeing like, they've been showing that all over, you know, the ads. I'm like, what ads? I'm like, the ads I've been seeing on TV don't, they don't show anything from that. And then he was like, oh yeah, it's all over like all the gay blogs or, so apparently this movie's been Uh. selling like targeted ads to gay blogs that show like Uh. Jane Tatum when he gets caught between the two guys that are, you know, so there's a moment from the end of this dance that will be like gift for all eternity (laughs) where Jane Tatum kind of gets like caught like crotch and butt between two like thrusting guys and gets kind of like knocked back and forth a little bit. And it is adorable when it happens (laughs) and, and very hot. So... So he's great. Yeah, everyone's everyone's fine in it. Uh, there's and this is the kind of movie where like no part is played by someone who is not famous. Like even Allison Pill shows up in for one scene, one scene as Josh Brolin's wife. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. I forgot about that one scene. Yeah. Allison Pill shows up very briefly for like 30 seconds in like a kitchen scene when, when Eddie Mannix briefly stops at home. When the unforeseen result of having so many big actors is that you're left wanting more of each of them at the end of the movie. Right. You get so little from yeah. each. Francis McDormand. Yes. You get one scene. Yes. Which I feel like that was more of a cameo than anything else. Yeah. That was sort of like a, they probably, I don't know if she's in the credits. I had no idea she was in the movie. Oh, um, really? Yeah, no, I thought that that was almost like an unbuilt cameo just because like everyone in the audience for the Coens knows like, oh, okay, like that's, you know, Joel Coen's wife and mm-hmm. Muse. And, and yeah, she has a brief, <laughs> surprisingly physical <laughs> scene. Uh, yeah, she is a hoot. And she is, as always, not even remotely vain. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Josh Brolin, who's carrying this, the sort of the whole whatever the plot of the movie is. Yeah. Uh, as any Mannix, who is based on a, a real life person. He is. So it turns out, I didn't know this, um, but one of those things where every critic is suddenly a know-it-all about everything about any given movie. <laughs> um, why not join? Uh, so everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, it's based on the real life Eddie Mannix. I'm like, there's a real life Eddie Mannix? And it turns out there was. Mm-hmm. He was the fixer for MGM. Mm-hmm. Um, during their sort of prime, um, you know, old Hollywood years. And he was responsible for a lot of things that, uh, both good and bad, uh, in terms of covering things up. So, like, I, I initially just looking at his Wikipedia, he is, is somewhat associated with the death of George Reeves, the first ever Superman, mm-hmm. um, as depicted in the movie Hollywood Land, where Ben Affleck played George Reeves. And um, the character of Eddie Mannix was played by Bob Hoskins. Uh, then he also, do you remember there was a documentary a few years ago, uh, a few years ago called Girl 27? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Because he was... He's the fixer. Fixer in that movie. Coming that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a terrible, heartbreaking story about a young actress who was sexually assaulted at an industry party when she thought she was showing up to do extra work. And uh, Eddie Mannix, it was an MGM production, mm-hmm. and Eddie Mannix basically, you know, coordinated the covering up of, of this incident because it was an MGM employee uh, who, uh, who raped her. And uh, and so this is what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if there's actually a really good podcast out there, and if you like old movies and old Hollywood stories, and they they do an episode on on Eddie Mannix. Is it the Karina Longworth? Yeah, yeah, that's that's you what must I was, remember yeah, this. Yes, yeah. And no, I was reading her. Yeah, she did a thing for Slate that I read about about that whole situation. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. Yeah, I highly then, recommend subscribing to the podcast. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, so Eddie Mannix, the real Eddie Mannix, uh, you know, because I've watched the movie, I did not know any of that stuff. And I was wondering, because in the movie, he's only really called a producer. He's like, the character of Eddie Mannix is like head of physical production mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. A, a fictional studio called Capital Studios, which ends up sort of being like kind of a punny thing with um, the journey that George Clooney's character goes on. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I had I had no idea. and But I was like, he's giving me a very mobster vibe. Mm-hmm. And you know he his his thing is kind of just slapping whoever is pro, who is being whoever dumb actor has gotten into a scandal this time he basically <laughs> just slaps them around until they like snap out of it and uh, so it's a very sort of you know it's not meant to be the real Eddie Mannix you know I don't know why they chose to use that name yeah it's um, interesting because the the a real person but it's not meant to be him right not shown as like a person with any flaws he's he's sort yeah of seen no as a... he's actually like a sort of a, almost like a spiritual figure in mm-hmm. the end like yeah. there, there's sort of an ongoing narration in the movie. Um, that's very odd, uh, and is sort of reaching for these, 
uh, sort of like grander spiritual metaphors about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is Eddie Mannix, you know, is he a timeless ecclesiastical figure? And, and he's, you know, going to confession and trying to wrestle with this job decision. And, and, you know, is he really the savior of the studio? Mm-hmm. And especially because the, there's the, you know, the, the film that Clooney is making is A Tale of the Christ. And a Hail Caesar with the subtitle Hail the Christ, a uh, Tale of the Christ, and uh, and so there's 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 yeah there's there's this kind of just I don't even know just just Cohen's goofing around just being like okay well let's just have a whole thing about how he's he's himself like this 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 timeless religious figure uh, who's going around you know controlling in a very godlike way controlling what goes on right. you know on this lot. Would you say that this one? So this is the pick of the week. So you're gonna say binge it. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say binge it because I really, I, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a really delightful. The word I kept thinking of the words like pleasures and delights <laughs> when I was watching this movie, and yeah, honestly, a lot of it felt very familiar, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. This is not a movie that gets off to a good start. This movie takes a minute because the first scene is not funny, and the second scene is not funny, and and then and then, Newman. And, then and then Newman, and then yeah, <laughs> Newman is really when you know you're in for you're in for a treat. <laughs> Buckle in. Yeah. Um. So it gets off to a really kind of slow, kind of weak start, and but then once it starts to like hit stride, it's just really enjoyable, mm-hmm. and it's so gorgeously made, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and so you know, it's it's not it's not a great movie. Um, it's certainly not one of the Coen's like final, you know, finest moments. It actually reminded me of late period Fellini when like he was, you know, very, you know, he's very, you know, far along in his years and he just kept making these movies that were these kind of very affectionate, but kind of, you know, incoherent, but fantastical tributes to like showbiz, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Ginger and Fred and like orchestra rehearsal and like Intervista. And like, he just kind of kept like revisiting showbiz. It's almost like he's at the end of his life and all he can do is just keep recycling his way through showbiz, the, mm-hmm. you know, the industry that he has spent his whole life in. And so this to me felt sort of like the Coens starting to go in that direction of being like, just making this, this thing that it had such moments of such m- magic um, but also was kind of incoherent uh, yeah, and rambling definitely. and didn't really have a point other than to just like give you all these gorgeous little moments um, that don't necessarily amount to much, but are really fun to watch. Yeah, I've always appreciated movies that do that. And, and like Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite movies. And I feel like that's just a series of beautiful things that I, that you watch. Um, and I feel like this is it's important to set expectations with, with this movie because I feel like you could be disappointed if you're expecting... Uh, a great story. Oh yeah, because um, yeah. it's it's not. it does not have that. Just just to just go for like you're going to yeah. a museum. You're going to look at a bunch of beautiful paintings. Exactly, and then leave amused with yeah. a smile on your face. Yes, I would agree. Uh, it also has, I think, probably one of the funniest ever like sort of religious conversations. Oh, absolutely. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where Josh Brolin brings in like representatives from every faith to like review the script for his Tale of the Christ movie uh, and to debate it. And there's like a Jew, a priest, uh, Orthodox. Like, Orthodox. Uh, and like, <laughs> and it's, it's, I feel like, especially going back to like whenever I was in a lot of, a lot of conversations about like f- spirituality and faith and religion in movies, this, this will be talked about in those circles for I think years to come. <laughs> it's a really, really hilarious scene. So yeah, lots of lots of fun to be had with this movie, uh, but don't expect more than fun from it. Hail Caesar is out now and is rated PG thirteen for some suggestive content. Now we're gonna go to the last movie of the week, Misconduct. When an ambitious lawyer takes on a big case against a powerful and ruthless executive of a large pharmaceutical company, 
He soon finds himself in a case of blackmail and corruption. Mr. Cahill, uh, he has some. Pearson Pharmaceuticals. Arthur Denning's global corporation. We can go after Denning personally for fraud. You're gonna accuse a man worth eight and a half billion dollars of manipulating drug trials. Yes, sir. And I fight to win. This movie has the big guns. Al Pacino, Anthony Hopkins, Julia Stiles. <laughs> Doesn't get any bigger. Why haven't I heard of this? I, this should be bigger news? No, you haven't heard of it because it's a shitty-ass VOD movie. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. No. Goddamn. It's, it's bad. It's bad, 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 bad. It, it's so bad that it depresses me about the VOD market in general. Because it's it's piece of shit movies like this one that will continue to serve prejudice people about VOD movies. Mm, you know, it makes mm-hmm. it harder. Like as as distribution, you know, becomes less and less about theatrical runs. Like just stinkers like this just ruin <laughs> it for everybody. These are the bad apples that continue to give VOD the sort of you know the negative uh, negative image of being like a dumping ground for movies that just were botched thoroughly during production and turned out awful. And you've had two in a row with Mojave last week. Yeah, these are two movies that have, you know, great talent involved. And uh, they're both bad. They're both really bad. But you have Al Pacino and Anthony Hopkins. You do. Yeah, heavy hitters. They've got to have scenes together. Just total amazing acting. They have a scene. Okay. One. (laughs) They have one scene together. It is a very mild-mannered board uh, boardroom scene. A mild-mannered uh, Al Pacino scene? A mild-mannered Al Pacino boardroom scene. And that's it. That's the only time they're ever on screen together. So it's not exactly like heat, you know? Yeah. It's, not, <laughs> it's not exactly like the long-anticipated Pacino De Niro showdown in right. heat. No, it's like a very like throwaway scene where they just like sit across from each other in a boardroom. And that's the end of that. Uh, although I did remember today that Al Pacino was in Gigli. Really? He was in Gigli. I never saw Gigli. Oh, yeah, I'm listening to a podcast about it. <laughs> and I remembered, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's right. Al Pacino's it. Because that movie was done by Martin Brest, who did Scent of a Woman. Oh, uh-huh. That he won his Oscar for. So anyway, so there's precedent for Al Pacino doing terrible movies. And uh, and this is among the worst and most wow. embarrassing that he has ever done. So which what other actors, what are the, of all these fantastic actors in this movie, who embarrasses themselves the worst? Well, Pacino is pretty bad because he tries a southern accent. No. In this movie and oh, and he sort of like settles on like a vague foghorn leghorn kind of impression. <laughs> or he's I like I say, I say I say I say boy like you won't go and do this with me because I'm not going to let you. Like oh, it's it's no. embarrassing. Um and I hate to say it but your girl Julia Stiles. No. Uh she plays Jay like Styles. she in Jay Style. She has she plays a detective <laughs> and she is in this scene that's like the most laughably obvious like wire operation in a crowded room ever. Uh <laughs> so in the beginning of the movie she's like sending Anthony Hopkins into this like gallery um to try to make this handoff of money for his wife or his mistress or whatever. And, um, and so, and she, and so she's like the fed or whatever, who's like lurking in the background and she could not look more conspicuous, <laughs> which is only made worse by the fact that she repeatedly bows her head into her necklace and stage whispers, relax. <laughs> which is what I do to you this whole show. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't work on me either. <laughs> so sweaty. <laughs> 
So yeah, so they neither of them, no one has a good showing in this movie. The only people who have good showings in this movie are people who are always mediocre, like Josh Duhamel, like Josh Duhamel who remains every every inch like the pretty bland older brother Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, so he is Josh Duhamel. He has one speed in movies, and he has that speed in this movie. Mullen Ackerman uh, does her Mullen Ackerman thing, by which I mean gratuitous toplessness that has <laughs> nothing to do with the movie that we're watching. Um, baby girl, just can't keep him away. Uh, so yeah, but Anthony Hopkins, I does not register. <laughs> does not. He's he's just there doing his like just kind of chilly. Uh, you know, just kind of like keeping his face, looking exactly one expression for the entire runtime of the movie. And just, you know, being like, I won't do it. And you can't make me. Where's my bet? You know, it's, it's, it's not a great Hopkins, but I'm trying here. It's, you know, some, sometimes you get him. Sometimes yeah, you have Alina yeah. Dunham and sometimes yeah, you have right. Anthony Hopkins. But he has a, you know, well, you know, no, I'm not going to. Can gonna, you do it's, Alina it's getting, Dunham I'm, doing Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> I <laughs> Pro quo Clarice. <laughs> yes. There. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, no. So no no one comes off looking good in this movie. People only come off looking either like the same mediocre they always are or just embarrassing. The acting's not fantastic. How about the screenplay? Oh! Oh, God. <laughs> so much. This is one of the worst screenplays that I like. It's one of those times when you're watching a movie and you're just like, you're so aware of the actors straining to hold on to their dignity, like <laughs> reciting this dialogue and they're doing their very best. And I should also note one of the actors of this movie is uh, Glenn Powell from Scream Queens, uh, who played uh, Emma Roberts, boy Chad Radwell on that show, who was a breakout star. In this movie, he has a kind of a throwaway role as like, Josh Duhamel's bro at the law firm. So, so much bad screenplay stuff. This is one of those, this is like a textbook example of a screenplay that does so much um, awful exposition work through dialogue and oh, no. through like visual cues. So, um, so for instance, the setup with Josh Duhamel and his wife, who's played by Alice Eve, uh, is that they are recovering from a miscarriage that shook their relationship. So here's how the movie tells you they miscarried. Oh no. So as the camera is, is, is panning across all the frame photos of them on their mantle, there's a picture of her pregnant. And then they show Josh Duhamel walk into a room where there is an enormous stack of unbuilt baby furniture piled up. Oh, jeez. And we've already seen her and we see that she's not pregnant. And so we're, we're supposed to believe like that they would keep a picture of her while she's pregnant up on the mantle. on the mantle and that like they would still have just like this pile of boxes that look just fresh from the store of like cribs and things just piled up in a room that he routinely has to pass through oh, no. to get oh, things uh, there's also a scene later where she has Alice Eve has this like kind of monologue that is pure exposition about the miscarriage that she delivers to her husband. No. As that, if that he wasn't seems... there. As if he's unfamiliar with what happened with the miscarriage. She's just sitting there. She just kind of stares in the middle distance and then just recites what happened. That's... As if he wouldn't know. As if he wasn't there. Very, very embarrassing things. There's just dialogue that doesn't really track. Like one time Josh Duhamel comes home from being out and Alice Eve says to him, You smell like vodka. Vodka. <laughs> Which... <laughs> 
Which, as we know, is like saying, like, you smell like carbon monoxide. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, there's not, like, a, there's not a vodka smell. No. There, there's a general alcohol-y smell. But you wouldn't be able to be no. like, you've been drinking vodka again, haven't you? Not a thing. Uh, there's some weird expository dialogue between them where he tries to surprise her with a bottle of wine. And he presents this bottle of wine. And she says, oh, Gaja. And he says, that's right. $350 a bottle. <laughs> oh, God. Like, what? 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 Why? Who would ever, like, who in a million years <laughs> would present, <laughs> like, a fancy bottle of wine to their wife and then say the price for any reason other than needing the audience to understand that he went and bought a fancy bottle of wine? That is too much. And there are scenes where the thread just kind of gets lost mid-scene. Like, they go to a very, 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 like, loud, youthful nightclub where, like, the setup is that like, he's like, oh, man, this place has changed since we were here last time, huh? Because, you know, they're trying to, like, get the spark back. And so they walk in, and it's, like, deafening, insane club scene. And he's like, do you want to go somewhere else? And she says, I can't even hear what you're saying. And he says, okay, I'm going to get us drinks. So that's, that's not how people talk. Yeah. So there's, it's, it's like, okay, it's like, I think we missed a line. I think something, yeah. some, something, something was supposed to happen between them clearly establishing that this was not where they should be. And then, then, and then they'd be like, well, I'll get us some drinks. That's weird. Uh, there is a scene where the sort of like very minor supporting female character gets killed in a dumb way because a guy on a motorcycle is like r- runs her down. And he basically, like, drives toward her from a whole block away, and she just stands there (laughs) and does not move, and then, unsurprisingly, is hit by him on the motorcycle. (laughs) And this is related to the plot that the husband and wife are ensnared in. And so the wife works at the hospital and calls the husband and is like, somebody has massacred her, Ben. That's not what massacred means. You can't, like, massacre a (laughs) person. person. Like, I looked it up. Just, I'm like, am I, am I crazy? Can you massacre a person? But no, it's like the dictionary. By the, definition. By definition, it's like, it says, like, generally a large number of people. <laughs> so clearly this dumb fuck screenwriter. Has massacred this Has play. massacred this thing. Which is thinking, like, what's a really strong word for killed? Like Massacred, <laughs> exactly. Massacred her. Nope, just one person. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a climactic scene. Uh, where um, a room full of cops with guns drawn uh, watch quietly and respectfully while Al Pacino delivers a monologue with a gun pressed to someone's head. Oh my god. (laughs) Not so much as a single attempt to interrupt him or shout him down. I mean, it's Al Pacino. This goes on for like five minutes. Al Pacino is just grandstanding with a gun pointed at someone's head and Julia Stiles and her gang are all just there watching, just like in awe. (laughs) So they're all just standing there. Slow clap at the end. Yeah. No one even, no one's like, no, we don't care what you're saying. Stop talking. Like, put the gun down. They just stand there. No sniper. They do not, they just just let him finish. Wow. They let him perform his entire monologue. This movie sounds ridiculous. Without never even, no attempts at intervening with the fact that this is a man who has his gun drawn and has it pointed at someone. Um, To make matters worse, it has... Um, aspirations to um, profundity. That's, uh, the, that's my least favorite thing. There's a lot of absurd, like quasi-philosophical dialogue about the difference between truth and right and wrong. And then with that within the context of the law and blah, blah, blah. There's some really lame twists in like the, line, the last 10 minutes that are just 
not impactful that don't turn the whole thing around at all and and really it's just a movie that never figures out what it's about it changes it changes direction like every eight to ten minutes and it just you're, you're... unlike that motorcyclist <laughs> exactly who was just a straight away <laughs> it just reminds me of in austin powers whenever yeah, there's yeah, a, exactly. the slow-mo guy and like the steamroller moving forward this is essentially that so uh yeah this is this is a oy, 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 oy. and it's so embarrassing seeing these actors like are they that hard up for work right and after seeing you know de niro do dirty grandpa and oh, right. and just debase himself so thoroughly in that seeing these other great actors of generation like hopkins and Bacino have to slum in this kind of shit show like i feel like do we need to like have a collective cultural lesson about respecting our elders <laughs> like because clearly we're not respecting them we're no. not we're not giving them meaningful roles they would never or, do this in japan or do they all have really bad gambling problems do they have really bad hooker problems i don't know what it is but like they i would have to think from all these years working would have like some kind of nest egg set up but they are apparently still just taking any role that's offered to oh, them man. And, come on uh, julia styles have some yeah poor julia styles like you were in the born movies julia styles <laughs> like they had to count for something like you were in silver linings playbook oh yeah yeah i forgot that she was in that until just now but, i mean <laughs> i'm always rooting for my girl jay sty and Me i too. and i and you know and she's Aside from the fact that she's like wildly overplaying her character's like um, <laughs> uh, lack of, of subtly fitting in when she's trying to pull off this <laughs> undercover operation, you know, it's always nice to see her. She's there. She's and she she is able to sort of go toe to toe with Anthony Hopkins. Like she's supposed to be like directing him around and kind of ordering him around, and she does so. So she's very excellent. Confident. She has some swagger in those scenes, and then she just embarrasses herself in that gallery. How about how about the the tests? Any any wins on the Bechdel or the Duvernay test front? Um, no, no. I, I I think there's there's no real people of color in this movie, and I think there's maybe one scene. There's the scene where Mullen Ackerman talks to Alice Eve at the club when they're when they're there. But they're, it's so loud they can't hear each and, other, and they can't hear each other. And <laughs> they and they, and they talk about Josh Duhamel. Okay. So yeah, so no, it it, it, it it fails both of those tests as well. It fails spectacularly on every count, <laughs> except if you're like, is our Mullen Ackerman's tits in it? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. And they don't need to be, but they are. And uh and 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 she is Swedish and uninhibited. So good for her. <laughs> um Jason smells like three hundred fifty dollar vodka, and misconduct <laughs> is out now and rated R for language, violence, and some sexuality. Send it back, guys. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. We did it. We did it. We made it to the end of another show. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, next week, we are going to look at some more movies. We sure um, are. Hopefully, we'll spend every day this week together again. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> um, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes if you like it. Uh, rate it and review it. Please. If you are an Android user, there's the Stitcher app. There's the SoundCloud app. Yes. Um, there are actually a bunch of different podcast apps that you can use. Just look for the binge. Is, um, that, is that true? I hear it's hard to find us on the SoundCloud app. Yeah, if you type in the binge. Well, yeah, you my can friend, also... My friend typed in the binge and couldn't find it. I'm going to have this out with you right now. I know. Like, um, did they spell it right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask her. Here's she found it on Stitcher. Do. She found it on Stitcher. You can go to the binge.us. And yes. or the binge dot us. Yes. <laughs> and you can find but not the, the binge dot us weekly. That, that will one? take you nowhere. But the binge dot <laughs> us is the binge dot us is the website home of this podcast. 
So go to thebench.us and like it on Facebook, and you'll always get notifications uh, whenever we post a new episode. And uh, it will also direct you uh, to where to find the. Uh, you can listen to it right there, embedded as a SoundCloud file on the page. Thank you so much. Oh, you can also find us on Twitter. You sure can. Jason's at the Jason Leroy, and I'm at Fight Balance. And we'll stress again: we will respond to anything, anything, anything at all. Uh, yeah, sex bots, sex bots are welcome. Slurs, hate speech, all of that. Trump supporters, bring it that way. Bernie yeah. Bros. No, Bernie Bros. The yeah. Which is worse? Who can say? I mean, Trump supporters, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Next time, guys. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge.